Hey guys, it's Jordan from the band Golden Bloom. Many thanks to Liam for allowing us to hijack the start of his Punks in Pubs podcast. We're about to play our latest single, Great Britain, out on Spotify, iTunes and other streaming services. Give us a follow on our socials if you fancy. It's Golden Bloom, one word, where you can find out about our live shows if we're ever allowed to do those again. Stay safe, thank you and enjoy the podcast. Welcome 
to the Punks and Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird, as always, and I hope you are all well. Great episode for you today, but before that, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all the people who brought some Punks in Pubs merch over the last week or so. Uh, you have helped raise £160, that's around $200 for Beirut Food Banks. Uh, we donated 100% of the profits of the merch sold over the past couple of weeks. All this money will go and support the people who lost their homes after the blast that happened a couple of weeks ago in the port. Truly, you've done something great. You've helped people hopefully get back on their feet. So once again, thank you. But we live in a capitalist society so seamlessly i'm going to move on to the fact that i still have merch to sell you and you can go pick up some of that merch by searching punks and pubs etsy on google or DuckDuckGo. that's my search engine of choice even if you don't ask you will see our etsy site go put some stuff in that basket and uh for yourself or for a gift why not and help the podcast because all the money that we raise goes straight back into this even though right now we can't travel when we can we will be going to some wonderful destinations like we did a couple of years ago when we went to slovenia and into berlin so yep go buy some shirts help the podcast and uh once we can get moving again we'll be back in the pubs interviewing people face to face but until then we've got a habit whereabouts we're going to start talking to people through a camera and that's what we do for episode 62 so episode 62 sees me looking down my laptop camera to the former less than jake drummer and lyricist Vinny. i'm not going to say his last name because no way can i pronounce it with my dyslexia i will fuck it up and i respect him too much to do that so Vinny has a new comic book music hybrid project in the works called the inevitables featuring members from westbound train big d in the kids table real big fish the interrupters Jeff Rosenstock Band and Nightmare for the Week. So expect us to talk about all that. We also dig a little bit into Vinny's uh, childhood and Vinny explains how moving from New Jersey to Florida in his late teens was probably one of the best things that he did because if it wasn't for that, he said he'll probably have ended up doing jail time. We also talk about his work outside of Less Than Jake with Paper and Plastic and as well as his stint with Fuel by Ramen. And of course, we talk about his time with Less Than Jake and how being physically and mentally broken left to him stepping down from the band that he helped create 28 years ago. I'll be back after my chat with Vinny, but till then, enjoy episode 62 with myself and Vinny in Florida. Enjoy the podcast. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way of how you looked and how you act and how you think? Pretend they're not the same as you. Of how you look and how you act and how you think And pretend they're not the same as you Do you know about his strength and convictions? Or how she puts on a faith in religion? Did we take the time to really discover How little we know about each other? Keep us from saying anything Can't separate from everything And all this really means it You're one in a crowd and you're paranoid of every sound You're not a friend I'm looking down the lens of my laptop uh, to an entrepreneur, a, a drummer, and uh, now the creator of a one-of-a-kind comic book music crossover. Uh, very excited to talk about that. But in front of me is Vinny. How are you, my friend? You know what? I am doing pretty good. It's uh, not so hot in Florida, but it's 
hot enough for me to feel that it's summertime and we're cool. You know, uh, I, you know, I moved from New Jersey to Florida for the weather, just to get out of the winter and kind of be in the heat and be in that. And, uh, I got more than I bargained for on that side of things, <laughs> but, uh, it's it's summer here and it's uh it's good for it to be summer you almost sound like a brit when whenever if something goes over like 30 degrees celsius i don't know what that is in fahrenheit we we just bitch and moan but any other time of the year we're, we're crying because it's cold and weren't rainy and it's gray but once we have a bit of sun we we really hate it we don't like it we do i think we generally do like our grayness you know you know what i i like the sun i like the heat i don't like uh like 96 degrees fahrenheit you know uh which you could cook an egg for that you know like so uh i like the heat but i just don't like it when it gets to that top part of the heat but i love it i love it regardless no bitching here i'd rather be in florida than uh you know seattle you know? <laughs> yeah I, I called you an entrepreneur there how do you find that word entrepreneur because i feel like in the punk ethos where that's no one can be successful like the the word entrepreneur can have can have kind of like a bit of an evil twinge to it. I mean, how do you find well, it? You know, I, I find it uh, you know misplaced to a certain degree. Uh, what I what I find if I was going to put the lens back on myself, I would use the word passionate about creative projects, right? Uh, and I happen to do more than I say I'm going to do, right? Mm-hmm. So my my hits are much more than misses when it comes to like creativity and productivity. Right. <clears throat> and they have them uh, there. Uh, entrepreneur is an ugly word because that kind of leads, <clears throat> excuse me, with business first. And I never lead with business first. Well, we'll, we'll scrap the word entrepreneur then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the people who are listening, I'm actually doing this interview in my office. So that's why it's a bit echoey. And I actually, my, our offices are running. So train line, so you might hear some trains just so because I, I don't know about you, but there's loads of people who love podcasts, but any sort of noise, they freak the fuck out like it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. First, I, I heard the dog behind him. It just took me out of the moment. Yeah, fuck off. It's free. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> um, so you're a man who's been in the music industry for nearly 30 years. So and predominantly of that has been in the scar in the scar punk band Less Than Jake a band that you yep. founded with Chris and spent 27 years with. My my worry is that we're going to go do this interview and um, you're going to hear so many questions that you've heard before. And I'm going to try and avoid that if possible, because I I have no idea what it's like to be in a band, but I know when, if I get asked twice just by my girlfriend, the same question, I lose my shit. So, I mean, for you, it must be so frustrating. So I'm going to try and be good and try and avoid the trope questions. But how do you find interviews? Do you find, do you find that you can like get, a, understand that an interview is going to be good or bad or a little bit tricky just in the first few moments over the years that you've done it now? Yeah. You could tell, you could tell right away, uh, if this is going to go good and someone's a conversationalist, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to, you know, have that moment and it's going to be fluid, right? You're going to talk about it and that person's going to take in what you're saying, listen, and then respond. You, you know it right off the bat, you know, and I like conversation. So for me, I like, you know, doing interviews. I never get tired of interviews because it, it allows myself to like kind of step outside and 
kind of critique me afterwards, yeah. you know, and, and it helps in, in future stuff, really. Was that why you was always quite happy then to push yourself forward when doing interviews for Less Than Jake? Yeah, I mean, no one, no one else was either up or wanted to do it. So <laughs> I, 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 you know, generally like to do it. So I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm just going to go do this and it's fine. And I was the band mouthpiece for a very long time, but uh, people want to hear from other people besides the fucking drummer, mate, like, or whatever, right? <laughs> like we want to hear, we want to hear from somebody else and having other voices to make a complete picture is great. So we're going to talk about the inevitables uh, in a bit, but obviously I think a lot of people listening to this would like to talk a little bit about Less Than Jake. And again, we will touch on that, but for the people listening, we are not going to be able to go through 27 years of Less Than Jake. It's just not going to happen. So um, if you want to know about that, yeah, let's, let's Google. Go find out. Educate yourself. Um, but something I am interested in, you touched on it a little bit, was that you moved from New Jersey down to Florida in your teens. Yeah. How was that transition? Because I, like, I can understand going from the north of England to the south of England. Like, there, There's regional dialects and then there's even attitudes of changing of in the north, people seem to be a lot more friendlier and ask how you are. Uh, and whereabouts in the south, it's a lot more kind of, no, get away from me. If you're in London, if you look at me wrong, I'm going to stab you. Whereabouts in Florida, you kind of got that idea of southern hospitality, like the idea of kind of getting to know someone. I mean, how was it for you going from New Jersey to Florida um, in your teens as well? Well, I mean, let, let me frame it this way. Uh, it was either move to Florida or go to jail, right, yeah. as a teen. Uh, so uh, my parents were planning on moving anyway, uh, but after I had graduated from high school, so that was a few years, uh, I got into some trouble. And my parents said, guess what? we're going to move earlier and it'll save you from going to jail. So as I got down uh, and into Florida, it, it's super different because it's more, it's not Southern hospitality. It's more so <clears throat> asking always, where are you from? Because Florida is a transient state. Everybody's from everybody, you know, everywhere else. Right. So it was, where are you from? Oh, cool. I'm I've never been to New Jersey. Tell me about it. And, mm. you know, friendships and, and things like that were built on where are you from? So so when you moved them from, were you, were you fighting? Did you like, I want to stay in New Jersey. This is, this is my home. Because in your teen years, you made your friends. Like, it's hard to, to kind of make I, that. I, I wanted to move, so I didn't go to jail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're, so you're already aware that you're going down the wrong path. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, I, not to plug, but I, I released a book recently. It's called 619 and short stories. Right. Uh, and I talk about it. I can almost look at uh, half my life as a before and then an after. And I, you know, I abused drugs and alcohol and was very violent. And uh, I was quite content to be that person. Uh, and I just was taking you know, going down the line of everybody before me in my neighborhood and, and the friends of friends. Right. Mm. Uh, but I woke up there, there. There's a definitive line in my early twenties where I went, it's not the person that I want to be. And uh, I moved on, you know, from it. I mean, to have that kind of mind frame at such a young age, I think it's quite a rare thing because I feel like people kind of discover it too late. I, I think if you know, you're going down that path. Um, 
So I'm guessing you had like a good close family unit then for you to be able to realize, oh no, things are going wrong. I, I, I think it's more so wasn't really the family as much it was I'm an overthinker, right? Mm. And, and fairly critical when it comes to myself and what I do and how I do it. People have said it before and I, I can attest, I just stopped having a taste for it, right? Mm. Before it scratched whatever itch, I'd be out partying and then all of a sudden it would be, you know, you find it and, and there's something that comes over you, right? Uh, but I, later there was so much going on and I just lost the taste for it, man, and, and rewired because of it. Well, it sounds like that's something that's kind of progressed in your life because we're going to touch on them later on, but like Fuel by Ramen, you left because you, you said that you weren't happy. You, were, you weren't happy in what you were doing and it seems to be with Less Than Jake, you weren't happy with the touring schedule. You wanted to focus on something else. So it seems like you, you know instantly, I'm done. Like, I, this isn't good for me anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like... I uh, know myself enough that there's a, like, I have a taste for something. And when I jump into something, it's all in. Mm. Right. Uh, and I, I know when I, when it doesn't, again, scratch that itch, like satiate me, I know that it, it's done. Right. And that could be external forces. It could be a lot of things, but I mean, I, I know when it's ready to, ready to go, I, I know when it's time to go. So you moved down to uh, Florida from New Jersey and, and New Jersey kind of has that reputation, I think more now because of like reality TV and, and what, how it was portrayed. But did you feel that when you moved to Florida, people would instantly judge you because you're like, oh, you're from Jersey. Uh, yeah, Jersey. Absolutely. But I was judging them the same thing. You're from Florida. Like, <laughs> What do you know about anything? You're you live in a fucking swamp, you know. Like you're you're backwoods redneck, you know. And uh, you make those unfair uh, judgments when you're younger, and you're okay with it. So, how did you get into the music scene in Florida? Then was it something that you was already enjoying in New Jersey? Yeah, you know, I found punk rock music when at a very young age, probably you know, eleven. Uh, my brother uh, found new wave and kind of like the early waves of like. Uh, hard rock and metal and i just kind of dived in and went from listening to like blondie and the knack and the ramones and all of a sudden it became you know minor threat and dri and you know and it i started to go to punk shows and that's how my worldview you know mm. not only in new jersey but in florida that the worldview was punk rock music so were you enjoying like the more heavier noise then of punk from from obviously taking that step from Blondie yeah. to all of a sudden listening to to Black Flag, and I, I I've I've read that you're a big Slayer fan fan as well. Huge, huge so like player. listening to to that kind of music, like how did you make that jump from like kind of pop punk with Blondie to all of a sudden listening to the the, the fast drum beats and the heavy bass lines of Slayer? I I, I, f- I found my own way, right? Uh, you know, usually if you have a sibling, then you know, like the influence of, of having a brother or sister, right? And to me, oh, Blondie and the Knack and the B-52s and Queensryche that he liked and things like that. That was his music. Mm. I wanted to find my music, my voice, people who spoke to me. And that early on was Slayer and, and uh, Celtic Frost and anthrax metal harder right yeah, yeah and that led that led into misfits but that led into from there you know minor threat and go down the line but i i got into very heavy music 
first. And that, but that was what I was feeling that rage and that like, you know, anger. I, I, that was the music that was speaking for me and to me. Did your brother understand the music that you were listening to? Like, could he dig it? Or he was like, nah, this is. Yeah, he, he dug it. You yeah. know, he was four years older than me. So he got it. But I mean, he was the mayor of like hair metal in New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. Like, super friendly, super big hair, well knowledge on like, very knowledgeable on on music and mute uh, and guitar and music theory. So, you know, he was glad handing all around, but that was his music. My music was, you know, angry and fast. And that that's what I, you know, I, I felt felt good in that skin. So when you came to Florida then, did you say you were you were in high school, you just finished high school? Yeah, I just finished I just finished high school in Florida when I moved down. So oh, okay. Uh, so yeah. was it his school where you met Chris then? Yes, that was where I met Chris in high school. Like when I was finishing out, he was uh, a year, no, two years early me, you know, before me. So did you did you kind of huck up at school or was it like you, you kind of saw each other at a gig and went, oh, you, you go to my school? Uh, no, I mean, it's when I moved down, uh, it, he was in a, in a punk rock, like a local punk rock band, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, being a punk rocker, I was like, you try to find other people who dig punk rock. And I remember like seeing that they played like in the middle of lunch hour. They were part of like, a, you know, a music class. And I remember like, well, whatever. Right. I just went, hey, I, I, I play drums and I want to start a band. So who are the people that are going to do it with me? I mean, that's that's how we met. Did you both went off to Florida University or University of Florida? University of Florida. What did you go to study? Uh, he was, just, if, if my memory serves me correct, he was just in like kind of like, uh, like a. He never, he never said this is what my major was going to be. Not that okay. my knowledge, right? Yeah, I was a little bit ahead of him, and I was going for education. So at that point in time, then. Was Less Than Jake already started to, to, to form or was it after uni or was it during university? Uh, it was during the university. So he had moved up. I was going to a community college three hours south. Yep. And then I was like, hey, I'm going to move. He was coming down and we were writing songs. And probably about four months of writing songs were like, hey, we're going to do a demo and let's call it something so that's how lesson jake was born you know at that point then were you like oh band's cool to do while we're studying and like i still have my mindset on doing this career or were you in the mindset of i like i i want to do this career but if i get the opportunity with music that's it i'm running with that i think people are different now uh where it's like i'm playing music because i want to get bigger and i want to make a career and i want the band to be massive Mm. Like in the 90s, it was, we're just playing punk music, right? Like, maybe we'll get some gigs and play in someone's backyard. Maybe we'll play a bar. Who knows, right? But there was no preconceived notion of, we're going to start Lesson Jake, and we're trying to make it massive. If that was never even crossed our mind. It was just something we were doing in college because we really liked to do it.
Do you remember the first time you got in the van then? Like as a band and how excited you felt just going to another town? Well, I mean, we did. We never even had a van when we were going to our first gigs out of town. We took like two or three cars, <laughs> you know, and had girlfriends and friends that were stuffed in with us and all our gear in the back. And we would go and our first out of town, uh, you know, like I felt that were important. That was uh, in Daytona Beach at a club called uh, Up and Adam and later turned to Lazy Susan or no. Yeah, Lazy Susan. So when you when you kind of playing those shows where it makes you feel like oh this is this is exciting, can you have you ever been able to try and explain that? Because I feel like it's the same for sports stars who score like a goal or a winning touchdown. Like unless you know that experience, you're never gonna feel it. And anytime that you create something out of nothing, and there's something in the air, yeah. and you could feel that right. Like yeah, you can't explain that to somebody. You can't go. Yeah, you know, like, here's the feeling, you know, you just go, man, like, I, I can't believe it was that fun and that much, you know, energy. And you, you start to little by little, step by step, start to dream a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Right. And I, that was less than Jake to a T. Mm. We never we always firmed up the foundation that we had. And then we moved on to the next step. You know, we had good gigs in Gainesville, never went out of town. And then when those gigs were, were good and great in Gainesville, we left to go out of town and play shows. And then those shows, you know, we wanted a little bit bigger show. And then we tried to support bigger bands. And it was always a step by step by step by step and always trying to maintain like a, a sure footing. So I'm guessing like Roger, Roger joins the band and then like you said, you, you're playing shows and, and you keep going. But at what point did you go, Oh shit, this, this is like our life now. Like we could actually do this for reals. That was when we signed to Capitol records, you know? So our first U S tour, this like maniac showed up and like, Hey, I'm from Capitol. Mm. And I, you know, it was two guys actually, Hey, we're from Capitol Records, the major label. We're interested in Less Than Jake. And it was our first tour. I was like, dude, who is this lunatic, man? Like, and, you know, he would show up little by little by little in different places, right? Until we got to trust him and went, maybe we can make the, make the jump between, uh, you know, uh, just punk band and ska band to something else. Yeah. You know? So how much was like the Can night? Hold on for go one on. second. Yeah, go for it, man. Sorry about that. Oh, don't worry, buddy. I, I had a, a wrangle my daughter who was playing Minecraft and like going bananas behind me. <laughs> it's like, dude, got to chill out. <laughs> I mean, you, you, if you're going to play Minecraft, you might as well be fully in. There's no point I, in doing half ass. I agree. Sorry about that. That's right, dude. So what I was going to touch on was like 94 obviously saw the boom of punk with no effects, rancid, offspring, bad mm -hmm. religion. Do you think that played a part also on kind of projecting you quickly? Because following that was obviously the third wave of Scar as well. So do you think it was kind of a less than Jake, right place, right time, rather than less than Jake, best band in the world, definitely want to sign us? Yeah, I mean, music is right place, right time, mm. right? And uh, there's, I could think of tens of thousands of bands that are better musicians that then than less than jake was right but it was 
right place, right time. It was, there was a moment for the music and we happened to be cresting into that moment for the music. Like it's, it's pretty simple. I'm not, and I, I'm not even being, you know, hard on it. It's that we had fun shows and we had good songs and they connected on other levels, you know, uh, on emotion and, and thing lyrically and musically. And I get, I get all that, but ultimately, uh, pop music is popular culture yeah. music. Right. And that's right place, right time for the moment. And, and we were that most definitely. So like you said, like capital were coming to you and like the idea of like the, the, the label that had the Beatles is, is coming to your shows to come and try and sign you before, before they were coming, were you actively trying to put yourself around? Because obviously there's that famous story of fat Mike rejecting you and, and you, you guys keeping your letter. I mean, were you chasing, were you going to like fat epitaph, like those kind of labels? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we, we went to fat and fat Mike. No, you know, uh, don't, don't, it was a, a form letter and there was about five different things, you know, from like the ultra positive to the ultra negative. And we weren't the ultra negative, but we were the one above that says, don't quit your day jobs. Like, <laughs> and, you know, an X and his signature on it. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. You know, we, we wanted to, uh, you know, go to Epitaph and we wanted to go to Fat, but it just didn't work out at that time. Well, I mean, Fat recently, two days ago, he put out a uh, an AP thing about 30 most important Fat records. And you'd be happy to know that Less Than Jake is, is on his list. So there's no redemption in, in some small way. Yeah, it, it, it is. You know, it's, again, like I said, uh, there's just a moment where, uh, in time where you either are going, yeah, this is our moment and you're kind of like peeking into it or it's just not the right time, man. And and for fat and epitaph, uh, it just wasn't the right time for less than Jake. And that's, that's cool by me because we wound up signing to capital EMI. Right. And we had two great records out with them, you know, losing streak and hello rock view. And that's more, and that for me, you know, people look back as that's a definitive time period right and i'm cool with that man because i think it's a definitely definitive time period for me personally and for for less than jake there's no doubt about it was there any trepidation though about signing to a, a major especially for like a bunch of punk kids what about this kind of inbred in you that don't sign to majors like no 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 well i mean again it, it goes back to what i had said which was we always had steps but always had the foundation solid before we took other steps and, and we thought we had the people who liked our band as a foundation that would understand when we went to a major mm. and, and, and they did. I mean, one of the, you kind of touched on it is uh, hello for Rockville. I mean, it's an album for me that kind of brought me around from my snobby teen look at third world, third wave sky. I wasn't really a fan and then I heard um, the last one out of Liberty City and heard that bass line and instantly, like, it just grabbed my attention and I listened to the rest of the album and the, and the rest, as they say, is history. For you, when you're behind the rest of the guys and on the drums, is there a particular song that's, like, you've heard it so many times 
but you just hear it and you're like, yes, like I'm ready for this. Let's get going. I mean, last one out of Liberty City, probably uh, Short Fuse Burning is another one. Uh, you know, any, you know, the, the song I really like to play was Great American Sharpshooter. So you think of what it could have been when time is all you lost, it keeps burning through your head. Now you fall asleep, stand up and lie awake in bed. Watch the clock drag out and think of what you should have said. Oh. Right, which was on a Hello Rock View. And when that would play, that would be great. Later, uh, toward, you know, after Anthem and after all that, uh, it, it would be the brightest bulb, right? Uh, has burnt out when Chris would be playing that by himself, right? And then we go into the, the, the next song really fast, right? Like, like I, that, that's the thing that, you know, would like make me go crazy. But sometimes you gotta let it go. Because that buildup and there's, you know, something that's connecting out there and Brightest Bulb did that. You know, Rest of My Life was another song that did that that's kind of somber, but then it would go into a bigger, more aggressive thing. And those were those were my favorite moments, like playing drums and the set. So during that time, then you started kind of going into the music industry yourself with Few by Ramen. I mean, a label that had massive success putting out debut EPs from like just to name a few Jimmy World, Fallout Boy, Academy Is, Panic at the Disco. How much did your time around the major capital kind of prepare you for that label world of music? I mean, it, it did and it didn't because I think that, again, go back to uh, a do-it-yourself ethos. It wasn't waiting with like a, a perfect storm. Okay, if we have these bands, then we could go and make the label bigger. It was just the wave that you're talking about really owes a lot to the wave that was before, mm -hmm. right? Which was, you know, Amberetta, the Hippos, Apocalypse Hoboken, like uh, Big Wig, because those bands, we kind of cut our teeth and learned how to market and figured out distribution. And it wasn't until that we knew all of those basics. And then when we branched out with, you know, a fallout boy, you know, and, and uh, panic and things like that, that we had our, our shit together. Can, can you look back at that time and, and, and like be very proud of what you've, what you've done? Because I think a lot of times when people ask you that question, they kind of ask you about, oh, you left, that was negative. Like, do you look back and go, fucking did a lot of yeah. good stuff? I mean, I, I can sit back and go, fuck, I did a lot of good, I, I've done a lot of good shit, right? And, and not even talking about fuel by, but just, in general, man, mm. like I, I, and that's how that's okay. When it's time, it goes back to, if we want to 360 it, when it, I feel that it's time to go. And I feel that like, there's a change that's coming. I can go to myself. Dude, you, you've done tremendous, tremendously cool shit. Like, why are you like trying to hold on to this when there's another chapter that's already being written? Yeah. Like, Go to that, man. Like, don't, don't like kind of sit there and expect change when change won't come. Like, you have to initiate change. And, you know, this is not like a, I'm, I'm not trying to make like this into like a TED talk, right? But you really have to, for good change to happen, you have to initiate it. Like, physically, mentally, emotionally, you have to push into it. 
people who wallow and kind of hang static, that change doesn't come, man. Or if it does come, it's lucky. And if it's not lucky, it's very unlucky, mm. right? So for me, I'm, I'm always in the mindset of if I'm feeling this way, there's a reason and I want to push into it. And you push into it with passion, man, and, and with, with, you know, strength. And if it blows up in your face, dude, I, I, I tried. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, if you fail, you tried. And that's better than never trying ever. 100% agree, man. I mean, for me particularly, was, I, I, I tried to make a career in radio documentary, had mild success, but ultimately I didn't get to where I wanted to. But through that, I created some fantastic tales and stories and people enjoyed what I created. And I, I would say that for anyone out there, like, especially now, I think during, I was, we were going to say we we're going to talk about COVID, but during, during this time that we're in where that's a lot of people are self-reflecting, I, I think that's fantastic advice for anyone who's kind of yeah. thinking, I'm going to do it. Like, why not? Now's the time. You, you, ha- you have to do it. I mean, there's a point, like I said, like, if you don't, then there's a always, I wonder if, if I did this, what would have happened? Well, you know, like if you did it and you failed, like you, you start again somewhere else. And if you did it and you, you know, move the needle. And I always use that. And especially with like the inevitables with Obi uh, Fernandez, who's like one of the songwriters and uh, kind of put the idea with me. But I always tell him, dude, we just got to move the needle a little bit forward every day. Just a little bit, man. Like little victories, like make you like at the end. Like you look back and go, wow, you know, we little victories every day leads to that like big win. last full album came out uh see the light what point was that the point where you realized there's no point putting out full lengths like we might as well just do eps now because there's no money left in, in doing because it. we we had written more uh for sound the alarm but it just didn't feel fresh and it didn't feel like it, it felt like okay we're gonna put these songs that we feel really good about and then a bunch of B-sides that we feel eh about. And instead of doing that and making it a full length, we just decided, hey, we're going to record the songs we feel good about. And we did. I have to ask, have you ever drunkenly thought about cutting Roger's dreads at any point? Anyone in the band ever like dared? Never. I, I I would never do that to him. I mean, he would... 
without the dreads, it's like his superpower, man. I, <laughs> like, I, I don't want to do that to him. I only asked because my friend did that once to uh, a mate of mine who had dreads. He cut just one dread, and I legitimately thought he might stab him. Oh, doing dude, absolutely you know that's that's years of work mm. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was funny though so fast forward 2018 you made the decision to leave the band and mm. when did that idea first become 100 percent in your mind and uh, how did the guys it, uh, take it well it it came in my mind because we we're going out on tour with four years strong and that was uh the top of february right and uh, we had two shows. It was Pensacola, Sarasota. We had a day off and then we were in Gainesville and then we were going to uh, Jacksonville. On that day off, I took my daughter to the park with my wife and my foot, as I was walking, slipped on, I was going downhill, it slipped on some rocks and went into a ditch, but with such force that I broke it, I, I broke my foot twice and then I tore two ligaments, mm. right? And that was on my kick foot. So uh, I went to the doctor and I went, this is what's going on. And she went, well, you know, you could put, you know, put it up, ice it, you know, it'll be, you know, four to six weeks and you'll feel better. And I went, well, tomorrow I'm going to be in Jacksonville and I'm going to be on tour for three weeks with a couple days off and then go to Europe and then come back. And then we're going to go to, uh, go to do more shows, come back, go back to Europe, come back to do warp tour. And she was like, good luck. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I went and the realization of being hurt and being away is totally different because while on tour, I like, you know, walk around and catch a vibe and, you know, and see people and things and, you know, be a tourist. And, you know, I, I'm a big foodie. So like, you know, we're going to walk to this place that we knew before, get a kebab or we're going to do whatever. Right. And I couldn't do that anymore. So it was just being on tour, being away from family, being hurt. And towards the end of that, at the end of the summer, my mental health and physical health were gone, man. Like it was when I would play a show, my foot would swell up and it would turn, uh, you know, it would be bruised. Like it would turn like black and, and purple, you know, basically like, and I just went, I, I can't, I, I cannot do this. I can't do this anymore. You know, like I cannot be on tour. Like, my me physically hurt led to mentally being just demolished, man, you know? And I caught a moment with a friend who was in, I, I won't say who it is, but uh, he's in a, a, a very a long running punk band. And he went, dude, I, I don't, I have this many kids. I don't know the first two at all because I was always on tour. Like, I, I don't know them. They turned into teenagers and then poof, it was gone. And I, I don't know them. And he regretted it. And then there was, uh, he had a newer child and it went to him was a, a, a moment of, this is my like redemption, 
I'm going to like be here and be a dad and be present in the moment. And, and when he was telling me this, it was, it was just like sinking, like, so like just, yeah, I could feel it. It just deep, man. And like, I just like, yeah, it's, it's time to go, man. Like, and, uh, the guys could feel it. We didn't talk about it, uh, until later, but, I just, at the end of Warped Tour, I was broken, broken mentally, broken physically, broken emotionally, just broken, man. So is that something something that you don't talk about then on tour? Because obviously people have families. So you would think that the guys would kind of lean on each other, not just in in the band, but other other guys when you're on tour lean on each other and go, I'm missing my family. Yeah, I'm missing mine. And then kind of shoot the shit or was that kind of seen as too effeminate it's, it's not effeminate at all because i think you know being touch, you know having uh being in touch with your emotions and things like that it's just that when i don't i don't know if you have like someone that you've known for decades mm-hmm. right but sometimes it just there's places you don't go with them yeah. you know and as a, a unit it was always just less than jake was marching forward right like it wasn't, oh, we're, we're like this gang. And it was like, oh, yeah, there was times for that, right? But, you know, before I left, it was more like, okay, we're a machine. Like we have an EP. We have to go do these shows. And it goes forward, period. Yeah. Like, and that's where it was. So uh, maybe at another place, another time, another like sort of whatever, it would have been a conversation like, miss my family. Like, I feel like that I'm lost out here, but just at that time, it it just wasn't there, man. Like that, that open line of communication, it was, uh, you know, uh, six months in of traveling and just burnt, man. Like it just wasn't there. The, the moment of, Hey, like your, your friend is hurting, you know, like there, there wasn't a moment for that. I didn't see it. I didn't see the window open anyway, you know, might've been there. I, I just don't know. I mean, this might be a difficult question to ask then, uh, answer then. Do you remember the last time a member of the band just asked, are you okay? I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, mm. uh, it wasn't again, like I'm sure it happened. I'm sure those casual conversations and you know, we're like brothers, you know, we, we spent, highs and lows together. So yeah, of course that happened. But again, like if we're just talking about fragments of casual conversation about X, Y, Z during that time that, that, that wasn't there, you know? Yeah. I'm not saying that <clears throat> no one didn't have sympathy or empathy because, you know, they're human. Of course they do. But I just went down the rabbit hole, man. Like, even if it was the window open, I don't even know if I would have recognized that or not. Like I was, I was, I was pretty far gone, man. Like on it, my, my brain was just going this where, where I'm at the end, like, and what, whatever the end is, I don't know. Yeah. You know, if it's a chrysalis and I come out like stronger and like better, but I, this is, this is, the end like i i just like 
I can't describe more than just to say I was just broken, man. Like at the end, at, by the end of that, I was just ready. Just I'm done. So, so when you put out a statement saying that you were done with touring, but weren't done with the band, was that a true statement or was you in the back of your mind? Like I am done because Roger ended up messaging on social media saying that you weren't any longer, any, anything to do with the band. Was that, was, did you know Roger was going to do that? No. No, that was a surprise, you know, but, you know, I, I had been doing the, you know, a web store and doing social media. I stopped at January of 2020. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, from, from leaving at towards the end of 18, all the way that year and whatever months to 2020. And then I don't do anything for, for the jigs, you know, it's all, uh, uh, done by the dudes in the band, but up to January what of 2020, like I was still involved, you know, and did whatever. And uh, I, I wanted to participate in future records and things like that and writing and things, but I knew that was a pipe dream when I first left and we were talking about that, you know? I knew like, no way that this is gonna happen because like when you're in a band, you're in a, like a gang, you know, like you go through these experiences together, like you're, you're not allowing like an interloper, you know, an outsider into like that intimate setting anymore. And I've seen it time and time and time and time again with past members that left. I knew that I would love to have participated, but I knew that it was never going to happen. So, so for you then, have you seen it that that's done? Like we, I, I've got, I'm going to do the inevitables. I've got this fantastic new project that I'm going to do. It's going to take off my time. Less than Jake is just uh, something that was fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed my time, but that's it. We're done moving forward. Well, you can never do that, right? Like forever I'm intertwined in less than Jake. I mean, it's 27 years. It's lyrics that I've written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, you can't detach from that, right? Like you can't detach from the hard work and whatever and be like, all right, that, there's the line and now I'm free and clear. It's just, it's impossible to do that, you know? Uh, so forever we'll be attached to less than Jake, right? Yeah. I mean, by sheer, by sheer uh, lyrics alone, right? Uh, so I still hold that close to my heart as well right like love lesson jake love everything about it and you know wish that i could have balanced home life and mental health and you know being you know being present and a father right i wish i could have balanced that and being in a band like in the 27th year of it right uh but i felt that i I couldn't do it at the time effectively Mm -hmm. you know and I never thought in my brain of like, okay, you know, now I'm going to jump into the inevitables, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do It wasn't like that at all. It's like, you know, I, I stopped touring and then the band continued to tour. So uh, I have a tattoo shop that I co-own in Gainesville. You know, I would go there, hang out. I have paper and plastic that do and put out records and put out toys and kind of just be creative. Uh, but I started writing uh a novel, right? And uh, it's something that I always wanted to do. But I got to the point in May of 2019, after writing it for about six months, going, 
who the fuck wants to read this? Like, and, and what am I doing here? And like, I don't understand like what it is. And there was a moment where I, I went, okay, like I, I'm going to put this down. I'm going to put it away. But I wanted to continue to write and continue to like get my head around it. So for me, I, I decided that in June, June 1st to June 30th, that every day I was going to write a short story. I'm going to start it and I'm going to complete it. And I did. And it came out on my birthday, 624.20, a year later, right? And it's just 30 short stories. It kind of reads lyrically. It's very uh, memoir-esque, right? And uh, it's talking about the past and writing about the future and kind of uh, trying to be in peace with, with both what influenced me and what I think the future is going to be. So have you found it quite, it sounds like it's cathartic. It sounds like, like therapy essentially, but on page, like it's an opportunity for you to kind of be okay in your own, like just kind of being okay on your own, writing down lyrics and the words, because when you read off everything that you are doing with, with the inevitables, when you were doing less than Jake with, you've got, uh, products in, in, in doing, is it CBD oil? Um, mm -hmm. you're tattooing, um, and and then with with um, paper and plastic, like you said, you you you've got toys, you've got books. Do you find it hard to just be in yourself? And has this book allowed you to kind of have that moment? I mean, I don't find it hard to be myself because what you just described, minus being a dad and a husband, that is me. Hmm. That is my comfort level, right? Uh, and I I like the fact that I'm fairly transparent when it comes to that, you know, like I like doing things, you know, I don't like saying I'm going to do things. I like doing them. And I like, if I think about it and go, Oh shit, I really want to do this. Then I'm going to try to do that, you know, and maybe I fail. Maybe I don't, I don't know, you know, uh, but the, when you listed off all those things and it's like, are you okay? Like with a, how do you got, Go, yeah, I'm totally cool because that's who you described who I am minus being a father and a, and a husband, right? Mm. Uh, and I'm cool with that, man. Like, I'm cool. I, I never try to define myself by one thing. I, I try to define myself as doing, you know, and mm. the process of then – Hey, it's it, it's Vinny from Paper and Plastic. It's Vinny from Fuel by Ramen. It's Vinny from Less Than Jake. It's Vinny from you know author. It's Vinny from Dad. Whatever, right? Uh, I, I define myself in in the always in the process of doing something. Just talk to this girl. Used to live yeah on my street. Whoa. After all these years, you're here and you remember me. Whoa. She said her old boyfriend packed up and headed back east. Well, let's talk about the thing that you're doing now, and that is the inevitables, because it's a. I'm a comic book fan myself. Um, for me, I discovered comic books because I'm dyslexic and comic books helped me uh, to progress in my reading and understanding of words and uh, 
kind of creatively as well, looking at pitches and understanding how they can speak um, rather than just text. I mean, for you, how did you find yourself in, in, in the world of comic books? Is it something that you grew up with or is it something that you kind of discovered later in life? Yeah, my, my brother, when I was growing up, he was a big comics fan, you know, mostly superheroes and things like that, you know. Uh, but just like how all brothers are, it's like, don't, hey, don't touch my guitars and don't touch my comic books. Uh, but of course, you know, like he could put a lock on his guitar, uh, but he couldn't put a lock on the comic book. So I went in there and my two things that really kind of shook me was a, a comic called Flaming Carrot. And the other one was the anthology uh, of the Watchmen, right? And that later turned into a movie and whatever, right? But <clears throat> as I was kind of flipping through the Watchmen, there's a frame there and it's someone had spray painted on a wall and it says, who watches the Watchmen? And for somebody like that was young, right? It shook me, man. Like, because I thought about it and went, you're right. Like, if the good people, like, who watches the good people to make sure they're doing good? Right? And the punker in me, like, extended that idea, right? Of, yeah, like, who, all, just because you're a cop doesn't mean that you're a good cop, right? Just because you're a politician doesn't mean that you're a leader, right? Just because you're in the army, it doesn't mean that you're not a killer, right? And it shook me to the core, man. Like, and the value that you place on other things and the trust, like, dude, it, it, it literally affected my train of thought even to now. Like, it's, it's a moment that I will always remember and that I go, that's what it was. Yeah. Like, and the thought pattern, and it exists now. Especially it's like, how, how, you know, people want to talk about, you know, democratic, you know, this with the election coming up, Republicans, Democrats, Republicans, Democrats. And I looked at a friend of mine and went, dude, if the punker in me says, dude, all politicians are bullshit, right? The dad in me says, well, I got to worry about my daughter going to the school district and if zoning's right and if like all that, but like if you peel off the layer of being a responsible adult, that person underneath is like all cops are bastards and all politicians are fucking liars. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, you go, all right. But as an adult, you have to uh, adjust the compass to living and making sure that your wife and daughter and whoever, like you're, you're living as a logical a member of society. Right. Well, I mean, you've kind of not so much the who's watching the Watchmen, but in your comic book, um, it seems that you've kind of hit on the the, the right nerve with, I, I, I don't want to butcher what the comic book is about, but it seems to be about Big Pharma and they have this cure um, for, for death. And then it's kind of like, what's going on with that cure? Now with the word that we're not going to talk about today, COVID, like it seems to be like on the right path of, Whoever creates the cure for COVID, like, what are they going to do with that cure? Like, what, what's the dirty dealings that's going to happen below that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the crazy thing about that, it, the, about the inevitables, the first issue is all about sort of big pharma versus 
like the people that they could help or hurt. But it's also about this bridge that links the haves and the have nots. Right. And on top of all of that, uh, you put into play this sort of the world is going to end in 40 days. Right. Uh, and uh the biblical idea of 40 days is all through the Bible, man. Like, you know, so we, we kind of embrace that idea that the world's going to end. And uh, you have this other thing that can extend life. It's called youth without like, kind of like giving everything right away. But for me, I, I kind of, there's parallels of what's going on right now for sure. Right. Uh, but even lyrically, which is, has a lot of, uh, end of the world Armageddon kind of like lyrics to mm. it. Like, dude, when it, it's, it could be the soundtrack of what's going on right now. Mind you, a very upbeat soundtrack with horns and everything else and Scott punk, but lyrically it's, it's very dark. I mean, let's... But, go ahead. Yeah, go on, go on. I was just going to say like, you know, even the, the comic book art itself is this bright and kind of like creamy, like sort of like, colors but there's a sort of dirtiness and and sketchiness of how it's drawn and when we first started talking about the inevitables i wanted this it's i always call it it's grime in paradise i want this like dirtiness but it's this beautiful picturesque place but i want this like underbelly want the like that dirty side the ugly side to come out in in paradise we're going to talk about the music in a second, but I mean, how how do you describe something to an artist and then the artist just goes, oh, it's such drawing, you're like, that's it. Fuck, you've got it. I mean, how does that relationship work between you and the artist? Well, it, it's one of those things that like takes a village, right? Like, you know, so it was me and uh, my collaborator, Obi Fernandez, and then we brought John O'Diener in to do the script. And then we went, okay, we're going to get some character designs done. And we just started to name, like, this is what we think. This is how it is. And kind of had descriptors for every character. And then I I fell in love with a person's art. And then that person went, dude, I'm busy for three years, right? And it just so happened that I was just doom scrolling through Instagram and I came upon some art that I, I loved the colors and I loved how it was. And I went, I have no idea who this is. And I cold email, you know, I just did a cold email and said, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. I love your art. Have you ever done comic books before? If no, do you want to do a comic? And uh, he got back to me and, and that's how, you know, just, here's these ideas and he did it and, and kind of spit some things back and then a revision and then came back and went, yeah, this is, this is who it is. Did you reach out to any of the comic book industry, like people, so like image or anything like that and just gone, Hey, like I'm, I'm thinking about making a comic. What's the do's and don'ts. Comic book companies uh, usually hate when musicians, musicians are involved in comics. So uh, I never went, hey, we should talk to Dark Horse or Image or anything. Uh, I just kind of went on, you know, okay, here's the path. We're going to write the music and we're going to do this comic and we're going to put it out and we're going to figure it. It wasn't until towards the later era of getting all this together that 
we decided, okay, we're going to crowdfund it. I, I'm going to touch on crowdfunding in two seconds, but I want to quickly touch on the, the all-star cast that you've got. You, you mentioned OB from Westbound Train, who for me is one of the most underrated bands that are out there. I fucking loved Westbound Train. And then they went away for a long time. And uh, I'm glad to see that they might be putting out music, more music soon. Yep. Uh, big D, you've got Real Big Fish, Interrupters, um, Jeff Rosenstock Band, uh, The Nightmare of the Week. Um, so how did you even start going, guys, right, I want to do a comic book, but I also want to do music attached to this comic book. How many times did they go, what the fuck are you talking about? And okay, uh, this sounds amazing. Let me get involved. Much less than you would think of, uh, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and much more of, fuck, I'm in. Let's do it. You know? I think when you're talking about creatives and dudes and bands and, and things like that, uh, the craving to do other things outside the, the sphere of what they do regularly I think that drives people, you know, and, and go, Oh, I could do this other thing. That's still kind of in my wheelhouse, but it's totally different. Okay. Like let, let's, let's do that. And it, it also helps that a lot of those guys are in multiple bands and do multiple projects. So coming to, you know, a few of the guys that are doing the music, Hey, this is what I want to do. They do that anyway you know, uh, studio musicians or engineers or producers. So it was, it, it came together much simpler than I expected it to. So you kind of mentioned about the fact that you are crowdsourcing it. I mean, what are the steps then to, to, to I mean, what is the big project then? So you, you've got, you've already kind of got the story in mind. You've, you're doing the music. What needs to be added for it to continue to grow? In the sequential artists, which we had hired already, but uh, I mean, that's the most money to be honest with you, you know, someone who's going to draw uh, 22 pages of art, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, a, that's a big expense, you know? So for me, uh, we knew what we had to have. And then we knew that we wanted to treat this as a pre-order, which is, Hey, you're, you're sort of buying into, you could do the digital, but you're buying into a physical comic, a vinyl record, t-shirts, whatever else that we're going to put it, you know, through the ringer on it. So we treated it as a pre-order and just kind of did our thing. Right. Uh, and we, you know, we made the budget and we kind of followed through on it and we, it was 50 hours from activation to, uh, hitting the first funding goal, it was 50 hours until we hit the first funding goal, which is awesome. So how can people continue to support and get involved in, in making this project get bigger? Oh, well, I mean, if the, the first step obviously would be uh, we're, we're headed towards our third funding goal, right? Uh, I mean, that's just to check out, you know, the Kickstarter and kind of look and see, hear the songs and hear the vibe. And from after you hit that first goal, everything else, you know that it's going to be a pre-order now. So if you hear, you know, someone goes to the Kickstarter page and you go, oh, yeah, I feel this totally, right? Like uh, they can know that they're not risking anything, that it is a project that's already been, uh, that has a green light and that they're in essence pre-ordering whatever is on that Kickstarter page. 
Perfect. Well, we'll make sure that we put links up in, in this podcast description and also on the social media to, to get wow. people in the right way. Vinny, mate, thank you so much for your time. This has been a pleasure. For having me. My pleasure, wow. mate. Um, all the best. Good. Thank you. Right on, man. I've come to my senses that I've become senseless and I could give you lessons how to ruin your friendships and every last conviction yeah, I smoke them all so much to Vinny for taking the time to chat make sure you go check out the inevitables and support the project i know i will link to the gofundme page is on the episode description of this podcast we'll also post it up on the punks and pubs socials you can find them at punks and pubs on instagram facebook and twitter also big thank you to golden bloom for sponsoring this pod make sure you go check them out and show them some love again link in the episode description and again we'll put it up in the socials if you would like to sponsor the podcast for completely free uh, reach out to us as e- on an email punksinpubs at gmail.com sales pitch alert go rate and review this podcast i know i know it's a pain in the ass but it only takes a minute and it really really does help uh, if you have a bit of cash spare why not go pick yourself up a punks and pubs t-shirt you get a free sticker fun search punks and pubs etsy or click the link in this episode description right that's it from me till next time stay well be kind don't be a cunt until next time bye bye <laughs>